Let me pray and we'll get right into it. God, thank you so much for this opportunity we have to gather together and worship you and hear from your word. That's what we're after. We, uh, we don't have a lot of space in life where we can kind of cut away from all the distractions and all the demands and all the expectations and just settle our hearts before you. I pray that you'd help us do that this morning. I pray you'd help us settle our hearts to hear what you have for us. We know that your word does not go out and return void, and we just want to say, here, here we are, and here are our hearts. Would you speak to us through your spirit this morning? We ask all this in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, welcome 930 here again, and welcome our friends, our, our campus, our church in Tremont. We are so pumped that you are joining us right now, excited about this message. We're in week two of this series called Rise Up, and what we've been doing is we have been taking some time to look at what happens after the resurrection of Jesus, how God's power is on display through the encounters the risen Jesus has with all of these other people, and it's pretty incredible stuff that happens after. We kind of like celebrate um, Easter, and it's such a big and epic event, and it should be, but sometimes I think maybe for me, like I don't really see what's going on after the resurrection, and that's just so important. I mean, after the resurrection, these people who were crushed and defeated rise up after the resurrection. The church starts and expands and does incredible things. There's so much good stuff in there. And last week's message was called Rise Up Out of Discouragement. I don't know if you were here last week or not, but man, I've needed that one. I've needed to put it on repeat for myself. How do you rise up out of discouragement? What spaces do you find yourself in? We talked about this dude named Cleopas and his uh, other unmentioned buddy, both disciples of Jesus, both kind of like nobodies when it comes to us hearing about their story or the amount of clout that they have in Scripture. Only mentioned this one time, and yet Jesus, the third day after his crucifixion, after his resurrection, met them on the road to Emmaus and took these discouraged, defeated, confused guys and really gave them exactly what their hearts needed. The resurrected Jesus has exactly what your deepest heart needs are. And uh, you can find those needs met in him. Today I want to talk about, this. the title of this message is called Rising Up Through. And that's important. Not out of, last week was out of d discouragement. This week is Rising Up Through Doubt. Now, I don't know if you... Um, are a person that, like, right away, you're like, doubt's a naughty word. I had to say naughty when I was growing up. My mom would never let me call anything or anybody bad. She would say, they're not bad, they're just naughty. <laughs> I learned quite a few, uh, hung out with quite a few naughty people and learned a few naughty words along the way. I don't know if doubt's like one of those words, like you can't, you don't, you shouldn't talk about that in church, or I'm uncomfortable with that, and I don't like, I don't want to talk about doubt. Let's just all pretend we all have all the answers, and everything's okay, and we never struggle with any of life's biggest questions, or apply those biggest questions to our faith in God. Like, let's just, maybe you're one of those people who like, just wants to pretend that we never struggle with some of those big questions. And if that's you, I just want to say I'm sorry. 
it's going to be a terribly uncomfortable <laughs> 24 minutes and 44 seconds for you uh, because we're going to talk about doubt. And the reason why I called this message Rise Up Through Doubt instead of Out of Doubt is because doubt is one of those things that is part of your spiritual journey for the long haul. Questions will always come up. You'll always have unresolved things in your heart that you have to work through. And that is the essence of faith. See, if you had all the answers all the time, if you saw everything clearly all the time, well, what would you need faith for? You wouldn't need faith. You'd have answers. I call this talk rising up through doubt, and that's because this is an everybody thing. The disciples were in Matthew 28. Jesus had written, we're not doing a whole sermon on this one, at least not this part of this story, but Matthew 28, Jesus is about to go up into heaven, and he's there with his disciples, this large group of followers, and it says that as Jesus went up into heaven, some of the disciples still doubted. That's crazy. After all they had seen, after witnessing the transfiguration, and they got questions. They, they don't know. John the Baptist is the one who like, came before Jesus and prophesied, and he was this crazy-looking dude with a big beard and ate a bunch of honey and locusts. and like, He would have fit perfectly with like, the Bear Grylls crew. You know, like, He was just a wild man. But he was out in kind of the wilderness and baptizing people and, and prophesying about the coming of the Messiah. And when Jesus shows up to get baptized, as was the Father's will, like he announces to everybody, this is the one who I came to tell you about. This is the coming Messiah. But just a little while later, after hitting some really rough patches in life, and John the Baptist is now in jail, and he's not sure what's going on, and he's probably a little confused and a little hurt, he sends his disciples to Jesus asking this question, are you really the guy? <laughs> John the Baptist has this epic question. If not, he says, tell me, and I'll tell someone else. And Jesus says, report what you've seen to John. Like, throughout Scripture, the greatest heroes of the Bible, the most popular and famous stories of the faith, are stories of people's journeys that always include big questions and doubts and struggles that these people had to wrestle with. So, for some people, doubting isn't really a huge obstacle. There's just people who are naturally use their questions as a springboard to more faith. They smile maybe more than, more than I do. In life, they're maybe a little more optimistic or... But, but there's people that, certain people, they have big questions and it's just a, it's a catalyst automatically for an, of, of excitement about what they're going to discover about God through their questions. There are other people that questions weigh really heavy on you. They're a big obstacle. Uh, you struggle 
And, and when you come to a question and you don't have an answer, man, it's like almost debilitating in your heart. You, you just feel the weight of it and you struggle underneath it. And it kind of like just having the questions kind of like sucks some hope out of your life and adds in some disappointment to it. And uh, there's all different kinds of people and we handle big questions differently. And no matter who you are, I want you to know all of you are represented in both of our sanctuaries this morning, no matter who you are, God is close to those who doubt. Maybe you're struggling with doubt this morning. Maybe you're struggling with doubt this morning because you've been through some stuff. You find yourself confused or angry about something in life or something just doesn't seem to make sense to you right now. Maybe you're you're struggling with doubt and some big questions, asking things like, is this even real? Does this even make sense? Does it work? Is it worth it? Maybe you're asking big questions like that because you're going through some difficult stuff. Maybe you're asking big questions like that because someone you love is going through some really difficult stuff. It was about a month after I had lost my brother, youngest brother, to a car accident and uh, my mom to pancreatic cancer in just a short period of time. I was really, really struggling in my faith and in life and just in every aspect of everything. <laughs> Some of y'all feel me. Maybe you're even kind of in a situation like that right now. I was struggling so deeply and I had just started this position as lead pastor, <laughs> like in... Uh, you know, I just was trying to, I was so confused and kind of angry at life and angry at God. I just didn't know which way was up. I remember kind of like tucking those questions in and not being willing to like let them out because I felt like if I said this as a Christian, a person who'd followed Jesus as a, as a newly minted lead pastor, but somebody who had been involved in ministry for a long time, like if I let those questions out, what did that say about me? What is that? How is that? That's, not, that's bad. It's not naughty, right? Like, that's just bad. It's just bad. I tucked them all in. And as I tucked them all in, like, I just wouldn't let them see the light. The, it seemed like the darkness just grew, right? Like, the confusion just grew. The frustration just grew as I hit all this stuff. I hit such a low point in my life, man, like driving down the road, trees looked attractive to just pull into. Uh, best case scenario, I get a break in a hospital for a couple weeks. And so like I was struggling. I remember finally like laying down and in, in bed at night and, and not being able to fall asleep and just crying out, not screaming because I didn't want to wake everybody else up in the house, but like crying out for my soul to God, like, what is going, are you serious? Like, how could this happen? How could you be good? How could you say you love me and yet I have to go through this stuff? And then it was like the bigger questions started to come out, like, are you even real? It doesn't seem that far-fetched to me that someone would create this elaborate story just to deal with this immense pain that is crushing me right now. As I laid there and I just screamed from my heart 
my questions out to God, uncovering all that had been built up for so, so long. And I don't care if you believe this or not. It's my real experience. I laid there just crying and angry, and it was like peace just started to wash over me. I started to think about the heavens and the stars and the trees and creation. So what a weird place to go. I knew it was a weird place to go. And, and, and then another question popped into my mind, and I believe it was a question from God. It was like, do you think all of this is an accident? Does not all of this point to a personal God who cares deeply about you, even though you're broken right now? So I laid there, the realization of the reliability of my faith, the reasonableness of my faith. The, I, I started to see God again more clearly and peace for the first time just started to fill my heart. You see, your questions don't disqualify you. They don't mean you're a bad Christian. They aren't something that scares God. Your questions, your struggles, your doubts, God is close to those who doubt too. Maybe you're going through something like that. Uh, what, I, what I feel like we kind of need because, you know, doubts and questions and bad circumstances, they amplify our fears and, and our insecurities and all of those things. I think what we need is a little object permanence. You know what object permanence is? Anybody in child development might, might have heard that unless you just slept through all those classes, um, child development and psychology, right? Like child development, part of it is like at eight months, kids develop object permanence. I used to have fun with my kids, even though they will never remember it, thankfully, like before they had object permanence, because uh, what you can do is you can really mess with, like, so object permanence is when you realize, it's that moment when you realize that um, if I can't see you, it doesn't mean you don't exist. Up until eight months, right, like, I would walk out, put my little babies in a, in a little, like, swing chair right there, and I would walk around the corner and hide and laugh to myself thinking like, oh, right now they think that they are the only person in the world, right? Like they have no idea. Why are you looking at, oh, you guys are judgy this morning. <laughs> I would pop back out shortly after and be like, peekaboo, you know, and like play peekaboo with them. I felt like that would help their development, get them that object permanence faster because if they would see that, oh, I didn't exist and then, oh, dad's back and then he does exist and then, oh, he doesn't exist and then, oh, he's back and he does exist that would help them, right, realize that just because there's a wall up in their life they can't see me clearly doesn't mean I don't exist. It doesn't mean I haven't changed. Sometimes I think what we need to develop spiritually is some object permanence when it comes to God. Just because you have big questions or there's a big wall up in your life or in your heart doesn't mean God's changed. And also, he's not playing peekaboo on you. He's the same. He's right there. He's close. God hasn't changed. And your questions, they don't scare him. 
You're never far from him. I think sometimes church becomes a place where, and the home becomes a place where we feel like we can't ask questions. That's a shame because the church and your home, even though it's very difficult to watch kids, any of you older mothers will testify to this, it's very difficult to watch your kids ask really big questions. And you want to be like, just don't ask that. You know, like, that's not a question you should tell. Here's the answer. Just take it. Eat it. You know, you'll feel better in the morning. It's hard to watch your kids go through that. But, and it's so scary. But the church and your home should be the safest place for people, your kids especially, to ask questions. Even the really big questions about life and existence and God, the problem of pain, all of those things. And this will be a place where your questions are welcome, where you will not be cast out because you've asked a question that somebody somewhere thought was out of bounds. We believe in asking the questions, but we also believe that there's truth to be found when we ask our questions. Um, you can doubt in a, we're gonna get to the story of Thomas in a second, I promise, but you can doubt uh, in a very healthy way or a very dangerous way. I wanna talk to you about how doubt can be dangerous and doubt can be healthy just for a second, and I know we're kinda like jumping through a bunch of scriptures and we'll, land at the main one here in a second, but like, doubt, doubt though, it's, though it does not scare God, though it should be asked in church, it can be dangerous too. And I have two examples of this. The first one is in Genesis chapter three. I mean, the enemy, Satan, like, weaved into Eve's thinking and placed seeds of doubt that God wasn't who God said he would be or wouldn't do what he said he would do. And that doubt was used to really trip her up and all of humanity. That's been his MO for a really long time. Doubt can be dangerous because the enemy will use it to confuse you and defeat you and immobilize you and have you leave the faith even. It's a very dangerous thing. That's why it's so important to push through your questions instead of crumble under them. That's why it's so important to ask your questions and seek answers instead of just ask your questions and accept defeat. Doubt can be dangerous because it's the enemy's tool. He will, he will plant seeds of it in your heart. He will plant seeds of it in your life. He will use it to twist you up. It's also something that leaves us rather unstable. In James chapter 1 and verses 5 through 8, um, James is teaching about how we should ask God for wisdom. And he says, ask God for wisdom in faith without doubt because doubt makes you unstable. Amen. Doubt can be dangerous because when you are asking big questions, sometimes we're susceptible and life can get shaky and we're confused and it's difficult and things are a little unstable. That's why it's important to work through your doubt instead of just succumb to your doubt. Thomas, oh, sorry, it's healthy when we are asking the questions and honestly seeking truth. There are people in your life, maybe you've even been there, who are just cynical for cynical's sake, you know? 
they don't really want answers. They just like asking the questions and like, like life better when it seems like there are no answers. That's a dangerous thing to place to be in if you're just asking questions to ask questions to ask questions. You're gonna become cynical about life, God, and everything else very, very fast. It's dangerous. But a healthy way to walk through our doubts and our questions is to ask good questions and seek real answers. You can't get rid of the seeking part of that. And here's what, especially if you have, if your parents are like teenagers, right? Like, a strong faith is an examined faith. Uh, maybe the weakness we feel in our faith when we're walking through trying times is because we have never actually examined our faith and found it to be right and reliable and true. We've never given God the opportunity to shine his character, his truth, and his love through the questions that we ask. Thomas is an incredible example of this, and his story is found in John chapter 20. I'm sorry if this wasn't like the rah-rah encouraging speech or message that you, you maybe are used to here that we haven't heard, but it's so important to talk about this subject. Thanks for being cool about it, even though you were slightly judgy when I told that one story. It says this in 20 and 24 of the book of John. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. He missed that first kind of experience when Jesus met with the disciples. And what's interesting about it, Thomas gets a really bad rap because everybody calls Thomas Doubting Thomas. Like, that's an awful nickname. I've had, one, because I don't even think it really captures the guy. I've had some terrible nicknames in my life. I don't think I'm going to tell you them because um, I don't know if I want them to re resurface. You know, like, this nickname, though, Doubting Thomas, it should not have stuck. I, what, what people fail to realize is that when Jesus appeared to the first group of disciples, they weren't sure either. They had some really big questions. They were asking, like, what is going on? Is this real? And then Jesus was meeting with them. Now he comes and uh, it says that, so the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. Now this is in the active tense. It sounds nice saying, like, oh, hey, by the way, Really exciting news. We've seen the Lord. That's not how it's going down. This active tense means that the disciples were like your two-year-old, saying the same thing over and over and over again without regard for what you say. Why, 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 why? Like, they were saying, like, we've seen him, we've seen him, we've seen him, like, over and over and over again, just, like, on repeat. And Thomas is, is, comes into this and he's like, but he, Thomas says to them, probably because he's sick of them, probably because they're pushing him too far, they pushed him to the point where what was going on in his heart came out. He says, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hands into his side, I will not believe. You ever felt like that? Been in a space like that? I don't know if I can believe. I don't know if I want to believe. I don't know if I can let myself go there. So 
encouraged that God includes this story for us to learn from. Thomas gets a bad rap. He's called Doubting Thomas because of the statement, but we forget that Thomas was one of the inner circle, one of the 12. He had a front row seat for all that God did, all the healing. And when Lazarus had died, that other disciples didn't want to go back with Jesus because Jesus' life was under threat from the religious leaders. And Thomas said to them, let's go. We'll die. I'll die for Jesus if it comes to that. Like we call him Doubting Thomas, but really he was such a passionate, incredible, loyal person. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, without Thomas asking a question again, Put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. You see, those questions that you've been afraid of, that you have been hiding, God knows what they are already, and he wants to show you who he is in light of your questions and fears. He wants to. He doesn't make Thomas ask it again. He doesn't have him redo the speech. He's not like, surprise, I'm back again. You guys didn't think I was gonna come back again, right? Like, here I am. Isn't this awesome, Thomas? Like, what do you think about it? He's not like, not like that. He's like, here, I know what you're wrestling with. Put your hands in mine. Touch my side. It's kind of like that psalm, right? Taste and see that the Lord is good. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God, it's the first time anybody had called God, Jesus, God, my God. It's the first time that Jesus' deity was ever explained so directly and so clearly. Isn't that beautiful? You see, because Thomas was willing to voice his questions, not for question's sake, not out of cynicism, out of his hurt and confusion about life, because he was willing to kind of stick in his space, stay there, he didn't just cut himself off from everything and go move to, I don't know, Canada or something. <sighs> he stuck there because he was willing to be in that space and seek. And, and even though his heart was so heavy and hurt and he was so disappointed, and by the way, most of our biggest questions in life do not come from our intellect. They come from our wounded hearts. Because he was able to stay in that space and keep seeking truth and keep being with those who had seen him, he kept waiting for God to show up. Because he did, when God did show up, because God always will show up in your questions. When he did show up, he had this incredible privilege of declaring for all to hear that this Jesus is God. 
Jesus then told him, and this is a little blessing for us, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. Thomas, though he was hurt deeply, he doubted in a very healthy way. Here's the tips to apply to your life. If you're wrestling with doubt and you don't want to end up just curled up in defeat in a sniffling, crying ball of flesh somewhere in the corner you know, of life trying to figure out all of it. Here's how to ask questions of your faith and of God in a healthy way. One, say show me, but then look. Keep seeking. Two, don't disconnect. Give yourself the space and the time to process rightly the questions that you are wrestling with. But don't throw everything out with the bathwater. Don't disconnect from church. Don't disconnect from people that love you. Don't disconnect from people that are also following Jesus but maybe are at a different place in their journey than you are. Don't disconnect from God's word. Don't disconnect all of it. Keep seeking and provide yourself the space to be in a, in a healthy relationships and healthy community where you can Seek answers from God and his word. Take Jesus up on the taste and see that the Lord is good thing. I remember asking myself over and over, quoting that verse from Psalm 34 and verse 8, just saying that over and over to God, like you said, taste and see that you're good. I'm, I want that. I'm looking for that. I'm searching for that. Show me. Show me. I'm hungry for more of you. Will you show me that you are good you say taste and see, and here I am, tasting and seeing. Prove yourself good to me. You see, God is not playing peekaboo on you. He's not casting you out because you asked a question that was, well, just too big or too scary for him. He's not turning his back on you. Ask him and seek in him the questions. Everything in life takes faith. Everything in life takes faith. It takes faith to believe there's no God. It takes faith to believe that you're God of your own life. Everything in life takes faith. And what I have found as I have tasted, searched for, asked my questions to God, stopped hiding them from him in shame. What I found along with that peace that has settled into my heart, I have found that our faith in Christ, the Son of God, died and rose again for us, is not an obscene, goofy, fairy tale kind of faith. It is a reliable faith. It is a reasonable faith. And it is a beautiful faith that'll make your life full, full of joy, full of peace, and full of love. An examined faith is a strong faith. And I don't know, I hope maybe you have all your questions answered and you're in a really good spot. You're like, this was a waste of 30 minutes. And if that's the case, I'm really glad for you and I hope you'll still come back next week where I promise not to waste your time.
but maybe you have questions. If you don't have questions, I bet you know somebody. Maybe they haven't asked them out loud, but they have questions. And you can rest in the fact that God is true and right, and our questions don't change that. That he will show himself and keep showing himself to us if we will honestly ask and seek his truth. Truth always proves true. And if you're struggling with doubt, I just want to encourage you to stop hiding those questions and those fears. Ask them. We have a team here. You can ask any one of us. Ask whoever brought you. Ask who you're sitting next to. Ask any. Just get them out. There are good and reasonable and reliable answers to all of them that will point you to this incredible Jesus who is everything your heart needs. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the story of Thomas. We know that like, it can be heavy to talk about this stuff and walk through it, but uh, we know that you are the light of the world and you are true, you are right. And we can know truth and that you say in scripture that that truth sets us free. I pray that you'd protect us from the ways that the enemy wants to like plant seeds of doubt and then have us defeated in those doubts, have us crushed in those doubts. I pray that you'd protect us when, we, when our doubts make us unstable and I pray that you'd help us instead to just ask healthy, good questions of you and to seek good and healthy answers and in doing so find that our faith is reasonable and reliable and beautiful, that we would have a strong faith because our faith is examined and you have proven yourself again. You don't owe us that. You don't owe us that. But yet you offer it over and over in your great grace and mercy because of your incredible love for us. Help us to see you this week, maybe for the first time, maybe fresh, and help our hearts to be encouraged as we can rest in the truth of who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.